In the middle of the journey of our life, I came to myself in a dark wood where the direct way was lost. It is a hard thing to speak of how wild, harsh, and impenetrable that wood was, so that thinking of it recreates the fear. It is scarcely less bitter than death. But in order to tell of the good that I found there, I must tell of the other things I saw there. In order to tell of the good that I found there, I must tell of the other things that I saw there. It seems at some point in every day, my mind drifts to a different time, maybe even to just earlier this year, how I packed into the stands at the Rose Parade on New Year's Day with a bunch of strangers and watched those floats come down. I think about just going to a restaurant and enjoying the food. I think about seeing friends and discovering a new city. And I can't imagine almost, even though I'm living it, how much life has changed. What if someone had actually told us that we would not be worshiping in our sanctuary for a full six months. What would if someone had told us that all of our travel plans would be canceled or that the skies would suddenly be clear because of the dramatic reduction in air travel and car travel, or that we wouldn't even be able to hug close family members and friends at all or without a serious sense of worry. And these losses are not even calculating the loss of life, the loss of businesses, the lost dreams of, of new graduates, the lost rituals of high school seniors, the postponed weddings. It has been a dark wood in which the direct way has been lost. And as I've been reflecting on the last months, there's another phrase in Dante's introduction to the Divine Comedy that strikes me. I came to myself. Underlying all of the disappointment and disruption has been this invitation to come to ourselves. It seems to me that what got cut out of our lives all of the sudden in March was what I'm calling this middle space. This middle space in which we drove back and forth to work and to appointments, this, this middle space in which we just decide to stop and get a cup of coffee on the way to work, this middle space that, that took up what we were going to wear every day or whether we'd even change out of our pajamas at all or whether or not to put on makeup or, or meandering around the grocery store or the shopping mall or travel or chit chat, all of that stopped suddenly and for a good long while. Think of how loud and all-consuming that middle space was. It, it took up most of our life, most of our consciousness, and then it was just gone. And we were left with ourselves and those we live with. I came to myself, said Dante. We were forced to be with ourselves, to be more inward, to go deeper. And while we were in that more interior deep space, then late this spring, we watch and we see George Floyd murdered by police. 
and we're brought to our attention and what we're brought to attention not only deep within us but also at this very high level where we're considering our systems we're considering our history we're considering the state of the society we live in and we don't have this middle space to to protect us or keep us distracted from actually seeing those things so it's such a fascinating time in our history we're both deep within ourselves and also at this high level of attention and we wonder what will come of this time will something new be finally born it's a time of high drama both inside and externally as well and i think this high drama is what drew me to pick this text in today's lectionary now, certainly this is as high drama as it gets in the bible and but there are a lot of problems in this story. So there are three big ones that I can see. The first is the story before the story. Uh, it says, and it happened after these things. Well, what were these things? Well, Abraham was coming off a string of some serious misjudgments. First of all, he had told a local ruler, Abimelech, that his wife, Abraham's wife, was actually not his wife, but his sister because he was so afraid that Abimelech would find his wife, Sarah, beautiful and want to take her as his wife. And in order to do that, he would kill Abraham. So in order to protect Abraham's own life, he actually uh, said that his wife was his sister and Abimelech then found out. Um, Abraham then swore an oath of loyalty to Abimelech, replacing what was supposed to be his loyalty and his covenant to God. So that was, misjudgment number two. And then thirdly, um, Abraham's servant, the maidservant of his wife, a woman named Hagar, had given birth to a son that was Abraham's son named Ishmael. And Sarah, Abraham's wife, was so jealous of Hagar that she mistreated Hagar and it was so bad that Hagar decided to flee into the desert and nearly died of starvation and heat in the desert. So it was after these things, not shining moments of faith for Abraham for sure, after these things that Abraham hears God ask him to sacrifice Isaac. Now here's problem number two in the text. As we mentioned, there is another son besides Isaac. But in this text, God says, take your son, your only one whom you love, Isaac. So let's just mention in the, this issue of a son that is favored and legitimate versus the illegitimate son who had just been left for dead in the desert. And then problem number three, the real big issue in this text. This son, Isaac, is supposed to be a burnt offering. God is asking for human sacrifice. There's this terrible phrase in verse 10 where Abraham took the cleaver to slaughter his son. Took the cleaver to slaughter his son. Just allow that to take your breath away for a moment. Now this is where I sincerely hope 
that this story is metaphorical because both Isaac and Ishmael are going to have some serious trauma issues if this is true. But although the events in the story may not have actually happened this way, the story does reflect realities in our world, um, even contemporary realities. And we shouldn't just rush over them because it can cause problems without actually naming them. This week, I read a story in the New York Times about the ancestors of Williams Carter Wickham, a Confederate general whose bronze statue stood in Richmond, Virginia. His great-great-grandson used to walk by the statue and think, well, that's pretty cool. My great-great-grandfather there um, up on a pedestal. But then he and his family began to learn the story of General Wickham. They learned that he had owned 275 slaves. They learned that they had a hidden part of their family, that General Wickham had fathered other children with his slaves, that these people had the same DNA as they did. And so they met together, these, these descendants of General Wickham from two different lines, and they stood in front of that bronze statue and asked themselves how they were going to reconcile the complicated history, the legitimate and the illegitimate history that defined all of them. The white descendants ended up asking local officials to take down the statue and were ignored. And it wasn't until this last week that protesters toppled it, that it finally came down. So there are still stories of legitimate and illegitimate sons. And we are invited to tell the truth of these complicated stories. There are still parents that, that choose to sacrifice their children in one way or another for what they think is the call of God. And we need to tell these stories rather than gloss over them. And we must name that there is this story in our scripture and be careful with how we engage with it, certainly. But I do really think that we can do both. We can say this is a terrible story, but also that it has an invitation to us as a story and asks us profound questions. Gerhard von Rad, one of the great biblical scholars in the last century called this story an Anfaktung, a German word which means a soul-shattering temptation or trial. Most of us know about these. In this story, it says God asks Abraham to do this in order to test him, to kill his son in order to test Abraham's faith. Now, I'm not sure that God actually tests us in this way. I'm not even sure that God would need to. Life seems to have and bring enough of these anfectums, these soul-shattering temptations on its own terms. Most of us, if we're paying attention, will have soul-shattering moments. We'll have moments when everything is called into question. We'll have times when we are asked to surrender everything that we hold dear. We'll have a series of invitations to let go of those things we are deeply attached to. 
It's fair to say we're in such a season as a planet, as a nation, as a community, and as a congregation. And maybe God isn't testing us, but maybe God is inviting us, inviting us to listen to the complexity of our stories, inviting us to let go of what we thought defined us, inviting us to surrender our deeply held assumptions and tightly held attachments. Indeed, I think God is always inviting us, no matter what is happening. But the invitation of this season is particularly stark, particularly urgent, particularly difficult to ignore. I am not a gardener, but I do love flowers and especially dahlias. And last year I decided to try, now that I'm back in California, I decided to try to buy two dahlia plants and I planted them in a sunny spot in my yard and one survived and one didn't do great. But this year I thought, okay, you know, I've got more attention to give to my garden, not going anywhere. And so I might as well try to plant dahlias. And so I ordered in the spring some tubers and they said they would send them to me when they were ready to be planted in my zone. So every day I checked my email to see if this was the day that the tubers were gonna be coming in the mail. And while I was waiting, it turns out that the dahlia plant that I had planted last year that did well started to grow up. And uh, now I have a d another dahlia plant that I hadn't planned on this year because it turns out dahlias are perennials, which probably isn't a surprise to most of you, but something I didn't know because as I said, I'm not a gardener. So the tubers finally came and I carefully read all of the instructions and I watched all sorts of videos on YouTube to make sure that I was going to plant my dahlias right because I knew that um, they didn't have much chance with me as the gardener. So I planted them all and every day for two weeks, I went out and I put my nose to the ground to see if I was gonna see little things, little bits sprouting up above the ground, convinced that maybe I'd be lucky to get one or two, not the full 10. But it turns out that most of them have come up now and, and they're about this high. And right before I went and preached the sermon, I went outside and um, one of them even has a bud on it. So I may even have a flower this week, which one flower would be a success for me. But a few weeks ago, I realized that this journey with my Dahlia bed really feels a lot like how I'm experiencing the world right now, how I'm thinking about our church, how I'm thinking about the future. It feels like we've been given this flattened bed of dirt, that, that everything is gone and, and there was nothing, everything that was growing has been somewhat flattened or cut down. And that we're just watching and waiting to see if, if anything's gonna grow back. If some of the things that we planted, if those are gonna come up and, and start to shoot out. We're waiting to see, is there something new that we need to plant? What, what, what else should we be doing or adding to our garden? Can we cultivate a sense of, of curiosity and, and trust even when things feel barren and unsure? Can we keep watering our 
plot of dirt and open our souls to the sun of God's love so that new shoots can grow up. Abraham arrived on that mountaintop stripped of all that he held most dear. And some of those things needed to be stripped away from Abraham for sure. But the pain was nonetheless terrifying and debilitating. And when he had surrendered everything, the voice of God came to him and he raised his eyes and saw a ram caught in a thicket. God provided a new way. Without a middle space to distract us, can we finally hear the invitation and learn to wait to see how God provides an answer? And, Gabe, and Abraham called that place Yahweh Yireh, God sees. God sees. God sees our overly attached attachments. God sees the full truth behind our glossy stories. God sees what is underneath the barren ground. God sees and God invites us to look. Look for the invitation. Look for the way forward. Look for what we could not have predicted and didn't know to expect. Look for grace and truth and compassion and justice. Keep looking. I don't know what is ahead or how it will all turn out. We certainly are all in a dark wood, but let's keep watching. Let's keep listening. Let's keep following the invitation to see what will be provided. In the middle of the journey of our life, I came to myself in a dark wood where the direct way was lost. It is a hard thing to speak of how wild, harsh, and impenetrable that wood was, so that thinking of it recreates the fear. It is scarcely less bitter than death. But in order to tell of the good that I found there, I must tell of the other things I saw there. Amen.